Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. Muslims are peaceful and tolerant people and have nothing whatsoever to do with terrorism. That was Hillary Clinton on Thursday, almost a week after the Paris attacks, here to discuss where we are and the political aspects of the war on terror today. Bill Crystal with the Weekly Standard. Bill, what is your reaction to that statement in the heart of a major foreign policy speech by the former Secretary of State and would-be President of the United States? Well, it's part of the reason Donald Trump is doing so well. You know, you get that kind of political correctness from a former Secretary of State and the likely Democratic nominee. Uh, there's going to be a reaction to it, and Trump has been very successful in sort of correlating and uh, speaking for that reaction, not in a very enlightened way, most of, much of the time, perhaps. And but it 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 is really astounding that she would say that after what's happened in the last couple of weeks. I just can't figure out why. I mean, I just don't buy the idea that if you acknowledge that Islam has a problem with terror that other religions don't share and that there's a, as King Abdullah, I thought, put it great, wonderfully or, or terribly, as it were, there is a war within Islam and this could be the third world war. How do, I mean, why do you have to go to the ludicrous statement that Muslims have nothing whatsoever to do with terrorism? Does she honestly believe the only other option to that is, I want to round up Muslims and put them in camps? You know, I don't know. I've sort of given up trying to um, understand the liberal mind. I wrote about that in the editorial this morning. In a way, you don't know whether, is it cynical? Is it just kind of they know better, but this is what you have to say, but we're going to run a sensible foreign policy anyway. Maybe they tell themselves that. Or is it that liberal sanctimony has just sort of taken political correctness have just taken over their thought processes as well as their public speaking, and they just can't even like face reality. Maybe it's too hard. <clears throat> Maybe the implications are too unpleasant that you really do have a huge civil war within Islam. Now that means that you have to go help the precisely if you're if you don't think all of Islam, and you shouldn't think that is you know that every Muslim is somehow a terrorist or anything. Then precisely you need to go help the decent ones fight back the 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 violent ones. But that probably means sending troops, and that means exactly that's what Bush tried to do, incidentally, you know? Right. And, um, and I guess they're so terrified and beginning to go down that road that they just end up with this, you know, saying these ridiculous things. And uh, also in that same, uh, she did a Q&A uh, as part of that, uh, uh, the big day of foreign policy, and she was asked if there's an, uh, you know, an ISIS attack, a Paris-style ISIS attack in America, wouldn't the pressure be tremendous to send troops into Syria? And she said, quote, yes, but it would be a mistake. So we have the would-be president of the United States, Bill, who's looking at the American people and saying, if we had Paris here, you know, uh, gang, uh, uh, organized cells of terror attacks that killed hundreds of people, I would not send troops to Syria to get ISIS to stop the next one. What are they scared? I mean, what is she really scared? Does she really think the blowback would be terrible? Who's blowing back? I mean, all of our friends would love us to go in and wipe them out. And the people, ISIS would be upset. I suppose ISIS sympathizers would be upset. Is that really a great, uh, a great the damage, they seem more ready to be kind of upset at us, so, and at the West, and threatening us, incidentally, in new videos. So, I, it is kind of astounding that they think the lessons of Afghanistan and Iraq, uh, wars, of course, that she supported, and I think Afghanistan, isn't that, I don't know, do the Democrats still officially support that war? It's a little unclear. They can now tend to lump them together as if they were these two terrible mistakes. Really, when did Afghanistan become a mistake in their view? You know, their president surged troops to Afghanistan. I supported that. But, you know, the, the degree to which a kind of mindless anti-war, anti-interventionism has taken over on the left 
And even Hillary Clinton, who's supposed to be a more moderate Democrat, supposed to be more hard-headed, can't help but fall into that and mouth those sentiments. And maybe more than mouth them, maybe she would feel compelled to actually follow that. And incidentally, there's some of that on the right. Ted Cruz went out of his way, who otherwise I think has run a good campaign. And you know, most of what he says I agree with, to say, oh, no, we can't send ground troops over there. I mean, what, do they think the American people are babies? I mean, really, do they, do they think I was with some young ex-Marines, former Marines, last night who served in Afghanistan? I mean, do they think these kids and their families don't understand that it was important what they did and that we... The next generation of Marines and Army uh, and, and soldiers may have to do this again. I mean, the American public is so uh, averse to, you know, uh, sacrifice that they just can't be told the truth, which is if you want to prevent, it's just what you said earlier, if, you, if there's another attack, if you want to prevent these kinds of attacks, you may have to do some things that are going to be risky and, and, and will involve sacrifice. You know, uh, Ron Fournier uh, pointed out the other day, or I say pointed out, he bemoaned the fact that there's this vast distrust of the media, and he doesn't understand why, which is why you got to love naive people like Ron. And uh, the uh, uh, and my answer to him was similar to my answer to people who say, why don't the American people trust President Obama? Why do you think people don't trust Hillary Clinton? It's because when you stand up and tell the typical guy who just whatever, you know, drives a truck for a living or a, a mom, listen, I'm going to tell you crazy things that you know are not true, like there's no connection at all between Islam and terrorism. And if you disagree with me, there's something wrong with you. The average person just walks away. And I think, Bill, that that's one of the storylines of 2015 is that that gap between what typical Americans believe and what the elites believe, and that's kind of the media story, and then what Democrats believe, the extremism of the Democratic Party, while everyone's talking about the Tea Party and blah, 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 the true extremism of the Democratic Party, that gulf between those extremists and the elites and on the left and the average Americans is starting to be revealed. And this could be disastrous for Democrats in 2016. It could be if Republican elites and conservative elites don't fall in the same trap. I, I was at a dinner here in New York uh, this week with some senior Republican voters and actually one or two elected officials, um, and they have a lot of this, too, though. They're very unhappy with the American public. I said, hey, you know what? The American public thinks you guys haven't done a good job in the last decade or so, you Republican elected officials, other elites, Wall Street elites, media elites, political elites, us. Journalistic elites. I'm happy to include myself in that. We've we've gotten things wrong and missed things, um, and the public has to yes to take that seriously. And unless you take it seriously, they're just going to go off the rails and support Donald Trump or something like that. Instead of saying, you know, we we've learned some lessons here, whether it's lessons about the economy or lessons about about government policy or, or lessons about foreign policy. And obviously, we can quarrel and have a debate about what those lessons are. But the degree to which the elites are just hunkering down, the public's irrational. I mean, these were conservatives. Republicans were saying, you know, they they got to their republics all upset about the Syrian refugees, so we should tolerate that. But of course, you know, at the end of the day, we'll probably have to let these ten thousand in. And I said, why? Why? Well, what is? I mean, you know, we we have discretion as to who we let in this country. I believe me, I've been interventionist in Syria. I've been an interventionist for four years. I feel terrible about these refugees. I don't think it was necessary that we have millions of refugees or a quarter million people dead. Having said that, aren't we entitled to make our own determinations about? who we want to take in and who we don't, and maybe give preference to Christians who are really being targeted for persecution and aren't 
nearly, I, I don't, that's not quite the right word, but aren't simply, uh, you know, refugees from the Civil War who couldn't stay in other countries for the time being, whose lives aren't in imminent peril. Um, no, we can't even have that debate, you know. You can't say the word Middle East Christians or else you're, uh, according to every politically correct uh, organization in America, you're sort of engaged in un-American, you know, preferences by religion and stuff. Really, I was involved as a kid a little bit in the Soviet Jewry movement. Were we, un- were we not entitled to say that American policy should be that Soviet Jews should be able to leave the Soviet Union? Of course, we wanted other people to leave as well, and we wanted to bring down the Soviet Union. But we were allowed to say that the Jews had a kind of particular status in terms of their persecution and in terms of a place to go, uh, Israel mostly, and that that would be, you know, a legitimate object of America foreign policy. So the whole thing is, I mean, so as you say, I think the elites, including conservative elites, just, you know, want to go about their business and uh, in a very kind of complacent way. The public is really upset at them. And I worry, I worry that even Republican politicians aren't learning from the public instead of just kind of trying to navigate their way through the minefield. Can I just tell you how classically GOP establishment it is that when the Republicans finally win a veto-proof majority in the House on an issue that reflects the vast majority of the American people, where Obama only has one in four support, the Republican elites are complaining, oh, this is terrible. Oh, what? Yeah, oh, it's awful, isn't it? That we're on the side of the people. Let's don't do that anymore. No, no, no. Let's go yell at them about why, whatever, we need to cut taxes on trillionaires. That's what they want to hear about. Brilliant. Right. And also, let's not look for other. Okay, I mean, someone should take a close look at the whole program. I mean, this is a legislative program. There's a 75,000 uh, refugees are permitted at the president's discretion to enter the U.S. every year. I have no. Uh, you know, uh, no uh, a priori objection to that, but it's a matter of choice of legislation. Is that the right number? How are those decisions being made? Should other people be given preference? Uh, are we doing? Are we letting in people who work with us in Afghanistan and Iraq? I have the impression that it's hard for them to get in the translators and the people who put their lives on the line for us, and then we're letting in a bunch of people from you know the Middle East who we don't know and some of whom are not friendly to us. Um, are we not allowed to have that debate? Do the Republicans in Congress, are they too witless to sort of have hearings and say what's going on with the whole refugee I mean, program? I, I, I am so, not. What about, what about immigration generally? Exactly, I mean, exactly. I mean, Bill, what did President Obama say when the issue of the refugees came up? He said, hey, these refugees are less dangerous than the average tourist who's coming to the country. Exactly. We've got people coming on tourist visas who then overstay their visas, and we do nothing about it. And, of course, the vast majority are just here for jobs. They're economic migrants but the fact you know, look at the 911 uh, uh, you know terrorists uh, three of whom were in the country illegally the day 911 took place the answer from Republicans shouldn't be you're right let's you know let in the Syrians the answer should be great point mr. president let's fix the visa program so when you overstay your visa we do what every other country does in the world and ask you to leave the Rep- how can I mean how can the Republicans not see these targets of opportunity? Um, they're good at not seeing targets of opportunity, you know. And I think it is, look, it is an interesting test for the Republican presidential candidates. It seems to me that they've done better in the last month of sort of adjusting to the world we're living in. Like Cruz, Rubio, maybe Christie as well, I would say. I think one reason those three have actually begun to gain a little bit in the polls, especially Rubio and Cruz, is I think voters have the sense that they are speaking to their concerns a little bit, that in a way uh, Trump and Carson kind of woke them up and they they, they, they 
trying to say something that's more relevant to what voters care about. But it'll be interesting to see how much of that happens or how much they go back to their playbook um, and and don't really. Uh, yeah, what about immigration policy? Is anyone actually going to have an intelligent discussion about what our actual immigration policy should be? And what about the overstayed visas? Is that just a fact of life that you can't track these people down, really, with modern you know, uh, technology. It seems like we're pretty good at that, actually. So instead, we go off the rails. Donald Trump wants to have a registry of wealth owners. But that is the kind of populist reaction you get when voters sense that people aren't doing, that, that, that government isn't doing the things it could and should be doing. So the final question is, of all the Republicans who are running, who do you think has the best opportunity to step into that void, to grab the passion that Donald Trump has tapped into, but without the ridiculous rhetoric, uh, and then bring the kind of political savvy smarts that make a voter feel like, you know, you could implement smart things. You've got the Paul Ryan chops. Who's the best person to kind of fill that gap between Paul Ryan and uh, Donald Trump? Well, I think that's the question of the next two months, three months, four months of the presidential campaign. Right now, it looks like if you assume Trump and Carson don't ultimately get the nomination, and I think there's some evidence that teach it its way. I mean, Trump may be getting a bump after Paris. Carson probably getting a little bit hurt, but I think that together they've kind of kind of peaked. Um, I think Rubio, you know, which is the more who's the more establishment candidate, I like him very much. Uh, we'll see what he can do over the next couple of months. I think Cruz is underestimated in D.C. I'm not sure he can win a general election. Uh, but he's pretty good at picking up these public sentiments. But again, then he wants to sort of cater to a certain kind of, oh, we can't get involved in another war, and suddenly he's saying no ground troops at all in Syria. He's a little bit to the left of Hillary Clinton on that. Um, I think Christie, uh, of all of them, is a kind of long shot, has the personality and the experience. I mean, a serious executive experience, including post-9-11 prosecuting experience. It's not the same as being commander-in-chief, obviously, but it is sort of related to terrorism, and he, you know, he's always been interested and concerned about that and has kind of the right attitude. I don't agree with him on every issue, and there are some actual specific issues relating to uh, the war on terror that you'd have to really look at his record and, 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 and quiz him on, but I think that's Someone like Christie, I think, could have a little bit of a run here, just because temperamentally, I think, you think after Paris, you know, who do you want there in the Oval Office? Who's going to, nah, you don't agree with them on A, B, or C, maybe, but who do you want there? Who is going to really make sure that America's protected, and who's going to really go in and, 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 and defeat and destroy these guys? And, and you might end up with Christie or one of the others, but I, I think Christie, of all the people who's now at 3%, has a bit of a chance to make a run. Bill Crystal, thanks so much for uh, helping us wrap up this, another astonishing week of American politics, and we will talk to you soon. Thanks, Michael. Oh, and by the way, you were talking about the refugee policy. There's another great podcast from earlier this week with Elliot Abrams, who talks specifically about American refugee policy in the past. And people should check that out when they check out all the Weekly Standard podcasts at weeklystandard.com. I'm your host, Michael Graham.